You're listening to Sportsnet Today on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Chipping ahead to Pospisil, races into the Panther zone. Pospisil for the backhand, scores! Here's Barkov, back to the blue line of Montour, over to Reinhardt, who shoots, loose puck in the blue paint, Bennett is denied by Markstrom! Reinhardt the puck over, now Hannafin, springs Backlund, he's got a break, Backlund, scores! Ten seconds left, and now Backlund lifts it up in the air and down the ice, it'll go wide of the empty net. For the final few seconds, we'll come off the clock. And the sea of red rises here at Scotiabank Saddledome as the Flames complete a two-game sweep of the Florida teams. They beat the Lightning 4-2 on Saturday. They defeat the Panthers 3-1 tonight to stretch their point streak to four games. Take that, state of Florida. Woo! Flames take a 3-1 over the Panthers last night. My name is Peter Klein. Welcome to Sportsnet today, everybody. Coming to you from the DL Basement Systems downtown studio for Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation walls. We have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Yeah, that's right. Mail won a trade a couple of years ago. Can't win against the Flames. More like chucking up losses against his former team. Huh? More like Ben ain't gonna win against the Flames. Huh? Huh? More like Ryan L. Omberg. That's enough. More like Cuba, don't beat you again. Mackenzie Winger. The vibes are immaculate. Oh, and it doesn't get much better than this. They're so good, we're stepping on clips on a Tuesday. what happens when you power through an energy drink while you're having an anxiety day right before you get on the air. It just gets unhinged. We'll see if we can harness this. Uh, coming up on the show today, uh, Jason Bukala coming up at 1.30. We're going to talk world juniors and things like that. Uh, and then I'm excited for this one. Sean Merriman, uh, former NFL All-Pro player, uh, guy who, as a Raider fan, I had to curse out a time or two in his playing career. Uh, also the founder of Lights Out Extreme Fighting. I like all of those things. We will chat with him coming up at 2 o'clock. And of course, we will be chatting about the Flames win over the Florida Panthers last night. Um, your text's always welcome, 960-960. I feel like we have a good ratio for the, the like the true Peter Klein experience on the text line of 960-960. Um, one person texting in what PK just did for that intro was nothing short of perfection. Someone else texting in fellas, uh, two's a streak, plan the parade. Woo. That's from Scoobs. And then someone else texting in. That's enough Klein for today. Um, I, I feel like, you know, two thirds that that's kind of my ratio. Like there, there are people who for, for whatever reason, I 
uh, hit a, a bit of nostalgia and just me coming in here and just the sound of my voice brings them back to a simpler time. Uh, and, and that's fine. There are people discovering me for the first time and it's like, oh, wow, this guy talks a lot and occasionally says something that's worth listening to. And then there are some people who are like, I hated him the first time. Did you just hire him to fire him again? Please say that's what it is. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, so... On the show yesterday, oh, by the way, uh, Cameron and Taylor in the other room, or Cam and Tay, depending on uh, what day it is today, uh, they're producing. They are the glue that is holding this show together. Some would say they're doing a bad job of it right now, but I think that's more on me than them. All right, so remember yesterday when I said that there's probably going to be some issues with the flames going forward. And while things are going well right now, there are probably some moves that will be made that will lead this team down a path where wins aren't always going to be that plentiful. And so if you can, depending on how you, and I'm not telling you how to be a fan, but depending on your fandom, uh, enjoy these wins while you can get them. And it was, um, I, I, someone said, I enjoy the wins and celebrate the losses or, or something along those. I think uh, celebrate the wins and embrace the losses. I think that's what it was. And so I was like, yeah, you know what? Wins are great. Positivity. And I just came on here and did a big whole yelling thing about like, yeah, eat it, Florida Panthers. Um, but here's the thing. I kind of thought they sucked last night. <laughs> and so I feel bad that I'm like, yeah, celebrate these wins. Really enjoy it. And then I'm coming on here today. They beat the Florida Panthers, a, a top three team in their division, a team that went to the Stanley Cup a year ago. And I'm like, yeah. Didn't play all that well, so, so um, I apologize for a bit of hypocrisy on the show today, but I, I just, I, it didn't dawn on me that they were going to win that game yesterday until there's like just a few minutes left and the Panthers are rushing into the offensive zone and uh, Rick Ball on the TV call, who, by the way, one of the best TV play-by-play -play guys in the league today, and we're blessed to have him on Flames broadcast, um, but he says, three minutes to go, Panthers into the offensive zone, and I was like, huh? they might actually win this thing because <laughs> I thought the Panthers kind of gave their head in for most of the game and the flames were just like white knuckling to, to, to keep this thing between the lines and just hold on like a, one of those winter drives where every eight kilometers you see, all right, still on the road. We're good. I, I just saw a bit of bit of cement or whatever we're making roads out of these days. Let, let, we're going to keep this thing rolling. Um, that kind of felt what the flames were last night. And then you looked at the end of the night and it was, well, Gotta win out of that one. Um, we, we are going to focus on the, the positives here to start off the show. We got energy, we're flowing, uh, everything's good to go. So we're going to focus on that. There are some negatives. We'll get into those as they go along. Um, want your guys' thoughts on this game, of course, at 960-960. But while there were some negatives, a lot of them were covered up last night by the play of uh, their goaltender, who would be Mark Strakama Jacob, who was excellent last night. Um, and he wasn't wasn't called upon a ton early on. Like, I, I didn't think the the, flanther, the, the the Flanthers, holy crap. I didn't think the Florida Panthers had a ton of grade A opportunities early, but they sure did late. And that's where Jacob Markstrom came in. And um, Kelly Rudy on the TV broadcast last night saying, yeah, he hasn't really had to make a whole lot of 10 bell saves. Like, well, he's going to have to make a backflip to stop one of these at some point if I know announcer jinxes. And then there's a, a scramble in front where everyone who is legally allowed to be on the ice is within a foot and a half of the net. And Markstrom comes up with big save after big save after big save. And then Blake Coleman goes down, draws a penalty shot. Um, and on an empty net that feels academic. So they just give him the goal and the, the flames come away with a three, one win. But I, I think that is, it's the good and the bad of 
uh, having a goalie like that in the Flames situation. The good is that this is still a team that as of today, December 19th, in the year of our Hockey Gods 2023, the Flames are competing for a playoff spot. And so having a goalie who can on some nights play like one of the best in the league sure is nice to have. And he covers up a lot of those things. The problem is when you are trying to evaluate some players, uh, sometimes it'd be nice if some of their flaws were exposed on, on certain occasions, just from an evaluation standpoint, not from a wins and losses standpoint. But Markstrom was that calming influence that you want. And Dan Vladar was fine in, in relief. He's not that. We love Dustin Wolf. He's not that yet. Um, th there is a different feel when the number one guy is between the pipes. And it was the same last year, only the exact opposite, where it was a different feel when the number one guy was between the pipes because you felt like you were already down one nothing. Whatever problems there were a season ago are just gone now from him. And he has worked his way back into being one of the, the top goaltenders in the National Hockey League. And he shows it last night with an excellent performance against a, make no mistake about it, very good Florida Panthers team. Just a, uh, can't say enough about what he does for this team and how competitive he allows them to be. Good, bad, or otherwise, he has kept this team in most games this season. It's a, a nice thing to have back when you're a first-time head coach. Uh, speaking of which, Ryan Huska talked post-game about how nice it was to have his starting goalie back in the lineup. Can you just talk a little bit about uh, the impact your, your new goalie had it. The new the goalie, team? yeah. And we talked this morning when he's fresh, he's... He's really good, and I feel like he's been that way for almost every game he's played for us this year. But tonight, he, he was different. He was different this morning, and he gave that confidence to the group in front of him that he was going to make the saves. And it seemed like the team really rallied around him with all those block shots. Yeah, especially later in the game, right? And they had a couple early on penalty kills. Doing a better job of staying in shot lanes is something that we've been stressing for a long time to help, to help out with some of the chances that we give up early on. And we feel with the size of our goaltenders right now, these two guys that we currently have, um, if we if we limit the quality of chances we're giving up, they'll make those saves through traffic a lot of times. Ryan, not to be controversial, but more for clarity, on the, on the penalty to Michael when he got it up, did that hit Jonathan from your vantage point, and should that have been a penalty as a result? I, I don't know. I haven't seen that again. I know that was uh, a lot of the, the talk that it might have hit him um, going through. Hubie made it, it seem like it hit his shoulder. What I could see on the video was I thought maybe it hit his head. Um, so it, it is what it is. You know. Can you talk about the save that he made on a minute with about a minute 45 to go, his stick is in the net? Yeah, it was tough for us to see from the bench. There was so much traffic in front. Um, and I know we had all four of our guys back in there as well. But um, I, I saw the pad down. I didn't really see um, what else was going on. But he's a fighter. you know. And I, I think when games are on the line like that, that's when he plays his best, which was great to see for us tonight. The, the team's penalty kill has been a strength for a couple of years, but it seems like this season they, they seem to be chipping in goals at, at really key moments. Uh, <coughs> what do you think? Like, What's... What makes the team so dangerous as a counterpunch in the penalty kill? I, 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 honestly, I think it's the way power plays are nowadays. Like, oftentimes there's a lot of motion. Um, sometimes you, well, most, almost every time there's one defenseman on the ice, and you get four guys deep a fair bit. So if there's a missed net or a missed shot, I, I think our guys are. Um, there's a fine line between cheating and making smart plays, and I think for the most part they've made smart decisions as to when to try to generate offense, um, but I think that's a big reason why. I mean, 
if there's a misplay, someone's out of position somewhere. So we have some guys that can skate and read the play well. It's a bit of a weird follow-up, but is there something from that mentality on the penalty kill that can somehow be applied to the power play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, your, your penalty kill has to outwork a power play. And when they do that, they're going to be successful more often than not. The flip side's true, though. Like, if you have a, a five, we always talk about five-on-five five mentality in your power play, you have to work to be available. And against penalty kills that pressure really hard, um, you have to work that much quicker to get over to be an option for your teammates. So it is a lot of times about work and um, making sure you have a mentality where it's not time to rest when you're on the ice. You have to crank it up even more. What does a healthy Chris Tanev, how does that change your whole back end? Yeah, I mean, you look at the way he played tonight too. I mean, he, he missed, what was he, a week, just over a week or just under a week. Um, but he blocked shots right away. He's positionally sound all the time, and he's a positive, supportive voice all the time. So, you know, when he's back there, I mentioned this morning, he's like a security blanket for a lot of people, especially his partner. Um, and there's... You know, when you look at whoever he's playing with, they tend to play at their best, and he does that for Noah, like he did again tonight. So he's an important guy, and it's nice to have him back. Is there a momentum thing with these shorthanded goals that just kind of builds from game to game, or you just sort of see this as a bit of a lane <laughs> that they're you're getting them? I think it's a trend. Um, but it, within game, when you get one, it is a momentum thing for sure because you hate giving them up on the power play. That's for sure. But I, I think from game to game, I think it's just a a trend or a phase right now that you'll take oh we'll take it yeah for sure you came home to this uh homestand two tough teams coming in and coming off a, a road trip that could have been better probably should have been better uh, just thoughts on how they hung in there and rallied back to a couple of big wins yeah they these were big wins it kind of keeps us in the picture and that's what we we talked to the group a little bit about and you know we we have to find a way to get as as close as we can to that wild card position and that means we have to win games um, we did feel on the road trip that we played well we played well enough to get more points than we did on that road trip um, but this was kind of a you know uh, when the guys came home they didn't feel badly about themselves because they they were in those games on the road and, and at times we we played pretty well so I don't know, it is important for us just to keep us in the mix for sure and in the mix, they are. The, the Flames currently sit a point out of a playoff spot. Now, uh, Arizona is the last wildcard team. They have two games in hand on the Flames entering action this evening. Uh, but you look at it from the, the folks over at, and I want to get this right, uh, tankathon.com. Uh, the Flames have the sixth easiest remaining schedule in the league. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, oh, well, the Flames are now a top two team in the Pacific, and on they go, onward and upward. Um, but for for right now, this is a, a team that is in the battle for the, the final playoff spot in the, the Western Conference. Now, that has been an area where this team has resided for far too long, thus the frustration with many, and the, the calls for more drastic changes here in Calgary. But it puts the, the GM in an interesting spot as we approach today's roster freeze. I would be relatively surprised if something happened, but I am the furthest thing from an outsider or, or insider. Sorry. Um, that would have been a subtle way to say I'm actually an insider, but no, I like no inside information. It just feels awfully quiet on that front right now from a, a flame standpoint. And I, I do think they want to see where they are at and rightly or wrongly, that could shape a little bit of the decisions that are made going forward. But the, the big star from last night certainly was Jacob Markstrom with, with some big plays to, to help keep this team in that hockey game. He also spoke to the media following the three, one win for the flames last night. Back. How did it feel? Uh, good. Obviously, uh, 
you know, big win for us, and uh, uh, it, it's, uh, it was nice to be back in there. What's it mean to you that guys were so selfless blocking so many shots for you? Yeah, I feel like that's uh, that's <coughs> nothing new for for today's game. It, it's been that like that all year, and it's uh, you know it's inspiring, and it uh, you know it, it gets a goal for sure. No ill effects from the injury. You felt pretty comfortable, there, obviously. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was good, or else I've been out there if I if I felt like it was going to affect uh, affect the play. So it's good enough to play. So it was uh, it was nice to be back there. I missed it. Is there any adjustment mentally, in, like not having played for a few days and then coming back and having to? remain focused for a full 60 minutes was there any adjustment in that sense or no uh i mean a little bit but uh it's more about it's it's nice you just try to focus on you know not to feel so much and just focus on the puck and uh, mm-hmm. uh not on how your body feels so it was uh, you know that that's pretty much the only thing i thought of all game so it was it was nice i didn't think of anything else to score or whatnot so it was uh, it was uh, it was easy Ended up being easy to just kind of block that out and focus on the puck. Was there any moments during the game where you sort of felt like, okay, I'm back, I'm feeling good? Uh, yeah, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, it's been a few years and, and and all that, but is there something special about beating that team? Do you still do you still get a little extra charge? Uh, I mean, sure, but not not really. It's uh, it's been more than ten years now, I think, and it's. Uh, that was a while ago. It, uh, uh, yeah, it goes quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's it's a big win for us, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's maybe just one guy, uh, Barkov, that was there when I was there now. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, but it, it's a big win, especially with Chucky being there too. It's uh, it's a little bit more special. You, you feel like you're building some home momentum because this is the first part of the season you played so few home games, you never really had a chance to build some home momentum with a couple wins here. Yeah, I think uh, you know we obviously talked before uh, uh, before last uh, last home game here and uh, against Tampa and you know four games before Christmas we need to we need to win that to to claw claw back in the in the race here. What can you say about your penalty kill? You know, two shorthanded goals like <coughs> those guys had today. Uh, really good. I mean, the guys are blocking shots and a little flipper on the the first one that that they scored on. But uh, you know, other than that, it was uh, adding. They didn't get many shots through, and you know that's all our guys doing doing the right thing and, and sacrificing themselves. Jake, what did you see on that that save, the kick save you made on Bennett? You lost your stick late in the game, less than two minutes to go. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, I mean, uh, I think the D shot went in Chucky's pants, and no one really knew what it was. And you know, uh, then it's just you kind of just want to cover the wise, and you know, did that. So it's nice to get one of those. Did you realize that the, your goalie stick was in your own net at that point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I figure it was. Uh, it wasn't really time to try to look for it and pick it up. But uh, you know, it's that's that, that's just stuff that happens. Kind of underselling a game-saving stop by just saying, "Oh, I just put it." Yeah, I just did though. <laughs> but, I don't know, you want me to lie and hype myself up? No, it's a it's a big team. It's a big team win and penalty kill, and you know, the the last two minutes was great. Yeah, the penalty kill coming up huge with uh, a couple of goals. Like Coleman, uh, the puck didn't actually go into the net, but he was going to be awarded a penalty shot on an empty net, which I think it'd be funny if they'd still make them shoot that, but um, that's, you know, trying to speed games up a little bit. A penalty shot on an empty net might be a little bit egregious, but um, either way, someone uh, texting in here, Ethan and High River messaging us. Oddly enough, I feel more comfortable when the Flames are shorthanded, so I felt we had the game in hand down the stretch. When we have a power play, I'm nervous as hell. Yeah, it, it feels like like that was just 
high-level leadership and galaxy brain stuff from Michael Backlund last night. Like, hey, wait a minute. We got five guys. Nah. Penalty kill. Penalty kill's working tonight, boys. Out we go. Way back and gone. Um, that just high-level stuff from Michael Backlund realizing that the penalty kill is what's working for the Flames in that game and sending the puck into the stands to, to give this team the... Um, to, to put this team shorthanded. But no, like, it, it has been... Uh, a real weapon for this team. And I, I love the aggression that they show, but they're not putting themselves out of position, right? Like it's, it's what Huska talked about earlier there, where th there's a difference between um, like being aggressive and cheating and then getting caught. And the flames very rarely get caught. I, I don't like how easy it is for teams to get set up in front of the goal on the, the flames. Um, I think that's something they're going to have to address, especially um, given that the, the future between the pipes uh, stands at a, round 511 um I, I think that that's going to be something that needs to get figured out so i but aside from that like the the penalty kill i love their aggression and you do wish that there was a bit more of that aggression a bit more of that urgency when they're on the power play um we'll, we'll talk about the power play a little bit coming up in the the two o'clock hour and hour number two for those of you listening in podcast um th this is certainly Certainly something that needs to be worked on, but you love that the players stepped up last night. Uh, Markstrom comes up with some big ones. He's been the focus of this first segment. But once again, the um, Kadri Zari Pospisil line comes up big. And it's what we talked about before uh, yesterday on the show. Simplicity. Just you're, you're driving in. Do you want to make like a fancy pass back to score the, the, the NHL 24 one-timer goal? Yeah, that would be sweet. You know what else works? Just putting the puck on net and the goalie missing it. And that's what Pospisil ends up doing with a backhander that goes into the net. That line was excellent and buzzing all game long. Uh, Backlund and Coleman come up with, with really big plays. So that was, it, it was just, it wasn't a perfect win. Um, it, I don't think the coaches are going to be showing the, the uh, tape of that game. They're like, all right, boys, this is what we need to do from here on in. I think Money Puck had uh, the Flames at the deserve to win a meter at about 30%. <laughs> so it, it was not a work of art, but you you are going to, to need to win games like that um, if you are going to, to want to stay in the mix. And as it sits right now, this is a Flames team whose main priority is staying in the mix. We have a good mix coming up on our show today. We have Jason Bukla coming up in a matter of moments. Uh, World Juniors are coming up. It's always a fun time just in general, but kind of kicks off a bit of a, a scouting season for some. So we're going to be looking at prospects and taking a, a bit of a trip around the NHL. I have some questions for him coming up in a few minutes time. Sean Merriman at two and then at two 30, we're going to get into more of the flames and it's going to be maybe a, a bit more critical than this first segment was, but there is also an event that happened this weekend that has absolutely wrinkled my brain more than it is usually. So we will get into that coming up in our number two. Your text's always welcome, 960-960. Uh, Patrick Stefan might miss that penalty shot. That's more what it's for. It's just so that on the off chance, one of these professional uh, athletes absolutely embarrasses themselves. Like they go full, what was it, Brad Marchand just lost the puck into the corner on a penalty shot one time. That's more what I'm looking for, is to uh, embarrass high-level athletes whenever possible <laughs> on the, uh, the, the empty net penalty shot. But... Um, yes, uh, your text's always welcome at 960-960. Time for a break. World Junior Conversation coming up next with Jason Bukla here on Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Sportsnet Today continuing with Peter Klein here on Sportsnet 960 from the DL Basement Systems downtown studio in this holiday season. A time for everyone to gather around with family, sit down around the television, and allow a bunch of group of 18 and 19 year olds to dictate whether they're going to be happy for the rest of the day or not. Yes, it is World Junior time uh, and here to help us get ready for the World Juniors and just 
talk about some prospects in general. It is Jason Bukla from Sportsnet.ca. Uh, Jason, how are you today? Great, Peter. How's it going today? Doing really well, thank you. Uh, excited to, to chat with you. It's always a, a fun time of year as we're getting ready for the, the World Juniors and we, we all rest our hopes and dreams on, on a young group of Canadians. Um, how is that young group of Canadians looking as we get ready for this tournament in a few days? Well, they got a bit of good news, didn't they, with yeah. uh, Bots and Bruins releasing Matthew Patra to, uh, to join the team. So that was a nice boost. He's going to fit nicely into their top six unit there and, um, you know, add both some scoring. And, and really, any time a guy like that comes back from a, an organization like the Bruins and the type of structure they play uh, with, that's, that's a bonus for the team. That should be infectious in the room. So that was a nice add at the end. It's going to be interesting. This is a group that, uh, on paper, um, you know, it lacks some of the experience that some of the other rosters in this tournament has. Certainly in net, uh, we're, we're relatively inexperienced in goal. You know, Scott Ratzlaff, of course, from the Seattle Thunderbirds, is a drafted uh, prospect, but he's only got four games of uh, international experience under his belt. He's in competition with uh, Matthews Rosso and and the St. Hilaire kid out of Sherbrooke. And so nobody has the net yet, but I would, you know, Rosso was the best at the training camp for me, in my estimation. He plays for the Halifax Mooseheads. So, um, I, you know, up front, it's going to be led by Celebrini and, uh, you know, and Poitra. And, and then, you know, it's going to, it's going to filter out after that. They got some real good players. I just, uh, I think the makeup of this group is that they're going to have to, be a relentlessly competitive uh, uh, group as a team. Like everybody's going to have to roll over and look the same if you get my drift uh, to have success at this event. They're, they're in tough. The U.S. and the Swedes are are looking really, really strong. Yeah, everything I hear about the tournament is uh, the U.S. just basically has like a super team and Sweden's been gearing up for this for forever and the Canadians are going to have to come in like lunch pail in hand and grind their way to wins. That might be oversimplifying things a little bit, but it, it does seem like uh, of the top three, Canada kind of sluts in third right now, hey? Yeah, that's how it feels to me. I mean, you know, obviously when you get into, when you survive the preliminary round, you get into the medal round, obviously a hot goaltender can change everything. And um, of course, we've also seen it over here that whether they want to admit it or not, and of course they won't, but it seems like the game is called a little bit differently when we get into Europe on, uh, you know, the officiating on the international ice surface. And the way that they approach the game is a little bit different than ours. And, and so special teams is going to be extremely important and, of course, that does start with the goaltender and moves out from there. But, uh, you know, Canada, they've got some length on the back end. They've got some big bodies. Uh, Maverick Lamoureux, for example, the defenseman out of uh, Drummondville, you know, he's six foot seven, I believe. Um, you know, the Noah Warren kid, six foot six. So we've got some range on the back end to take away time and space. But I'm with you, pal. Like, it's, uh, I don't think that that's uh, unfair for us to say they're going to have to strap their. Uh, you know, pull on their work boots and put on the helmet uh, to, to get this done. You mentioned goalies a couple of times, and that, that's it feels like that's been a focus of this tournament for Canada, basically like since Carter Hart, you know, where it's like, well, the I mean, rest of the team's good, but we don't know about the goalies. And now we're going to have a best-on-best best competition in whenever, either next year, uh, a couple of years from now, or whenever it's going to be, and we're going to be saying the same thing. It feels like goaltending has been an issue for Canada for a while now. Is there, like, this might be unfair to ask you, but is there something we're not doing or something that other countries are doing to develop these kids? Or is it just, it is what it is, and you just kind of work with what you've got? 
Yeah, it's, it's, you know, there was a time that we were developing some of the, the, definitely the top goaltenders in the world, you know, and now we're, we're sitting there looking at the carry prices of the, you know, the NHL on the way out and flurry and, you know, we could go down the list, but um, I really believe in Canada uh, that it's expensive to play the position, Peter. Like, mm. you know, if you're, if you're a, a parent trying to, to ice a goaltender, if you're, if your child, you know, your son or daughter says, I want to play net. Well, you know, immediately you're looking at a couple of thousand dollars just to put the gear on the, uh, on the athlete and push them out on the ice uh, as they get older for sure. Um, and I, I think that, you know, cost, the, the cost of hockey across the board has gotten very expensive. It's, it's in my estimation in certain pockets become too elitist. Um, and, and that makes it difficult for everybody to be involved. And I think that, when you only got a couple of goaltenders for roster and the expenses that's involved in that, I think that over time that planed out and, and we had less uh, really high-end goaltenders uh, developing at a younger age and then, you know, obviously getting better as they became major juniors, et cetera. So um, I don't have an exact number. Or I don't have an exact thought for it. That's my best guess because yeah. I don't think we're doing anything. I don't think we're doing anything differently, and I don't think the Swedes and the Finns and the Russians are doing anything better per se with their goaltending. It's just part of our cycle right now. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I, I hadn't thought of the cost to it, because I, I remember, like, I'm kind of old now, but back when I was a kid, I wanted to play goal for a little bit, and my parents like, that's great, uh, hand-me-down stuff only, and I got hand-me-down stuff from people who were entirely bigger than me, and so I was butterfly goalie by choice, because I, I couldn't physically stand up in some of that stuff, so maybe, the, not, not what I would recommend, is just, uh, just what I would say, um, but a lot of the eyes on this tournament are going to be on um, Celebrini, he is the, the top prospect for, for the draft coming up, and Traditionally, this hasn't necessarily been a tournament where draft-eligible players have thrived, but the last couple that we've had, uh, Connor Bedard did quite well. Um, and even back to Alexi Lafreniere, he kind of set the bar for draft-eligible prospects over the, the last little bit. What can we expect from uh, Celebrini in a tournament that tends to skew a little bit older, uh, relatively speaking, to who's playing in the tournament? Yeah, well, Celebrini, obviously, is playing at Boston University. He's used to playing against older players, kind of bigger, stronger bodies, if you will. And I don't see anything that's going to hold him back. It's going to be a seamless transition for him to play at a high level at this event. And Team Canada needs him to do it, Peter. Like, this kid was their best player at the training camp itself. He played center and the wing at the camp. Uh, he's going to play center in the tournament. He needs to play center because – you know, we can't cut the ice in half on this uh, on this player, and we have to have him, you know, involved. Uh, I call it low and slow. And what I mean by that is that uh, when, when we get possession of the puck in our zone, we need to look for this guy on the bigger ice as an outlet option down low where he can grab it on an outlet and he can hit the, you know, through transition. With the puck on his stick, his pace, he's the guy you want leading the rush. So when he goes low and slow, he gets up to a full head of steam quicker than when you're on the half wall and you're taking a pass and, you're a winger and you're not up to speed if you get my drift. So um, this is an elite player, plays quick, plays fast. He is relentlessly competitive, and I love that about him. Uh, if he loses control of a puck or he tosses a puck over in the offensive zone, call it three, four feet in a danger area in the offensive zone, he's the first guy that's turning around and tracking back as hard as he can to get that puck back. And as we all know, you've seen it all over the NHL even, skilled guys who sometimes turn pucks over, they have a little bit of a sulk or a little delay in their back check. And before you know it, it's a three-on-two the other way. That's not the case with this kid. He, he's a full 200-foot player. 
who's uh, electric offensively. I love watching him play. He's he's just fun to watch. He's uh, he's kind of he's he's on the same trajectory as Fantilli was last year. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've read some things that people think he's Jonathan Taze like. Uh, I agree with that too. You know, I definitely throw that in the in the crock pot, if you will. Um, he's also got some McKinnon in there, so he's a mix of a bunch of different things. It's uh, he's going to be real important for Canada. Who are uh, some other draft prospects to to watch in this tournament, Canadian or otherwise? Well, on the Canadian team, you know, we've got the the goaltenders are the are the ones that um, you know Saint Hilaire and Rosso are have not yet been drafted. They've attended development camps. Um, Saint Hilaire was at the Leaf camp, and Rosso was at Columbus camp last year. Uh, we have another forward that made the team as a 19-year-old. His name is Owen Allard. He's, he's from the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. He's already eclipsed his career highs in goals and assists uh, by Christmas time this year, so he's kind of a late bloomer. I expect him to have a depth role. He's a bigger body, six foot two, 190. Um, but he'll have a depth role on the team, kind of a checking, energy matchup type of uh, a role. <clears throat> but excuse me, these, uh, there's a couple others in this tournament from other teams like um, – uh, Team USA actually they got they have a, a defenseman his name's Zeev Bweem and he plays at the University of Denver he's a transitional power play quarterback he's got as much uh, or as many points as Celebrini does uh, playing as a freshman defenseman at Denver um, so he's going to be a name to watch he's a first round pick all day long as well for me I think he's being uh, right now he's rated I believe around 20th on most lists I think he's a top 15 pick by the end of the year maybe top 10 because you can't teach offense right Peter like those guys have to be real good defensively, but you can't teach offense. Uh, but there's a kid on Finland people should uh, pay close attention to. His name's Consta Hellenius. He's, this kid can end up being a top six pick in the draft. 17 years old, already in his second year in Liga, which is the Finnish elite league. He's third on his team in scoring. Oli Jokinen is his coach over there at Ukarut. Oh. And uh, 20 points in 28 games at the top pro level as a 17-year-old. So... Um, he's a threat off the rush guy. He's quick in transition, rips pucks, uh, always in motion. So keep an eye on that name. Um, I, I, I love chatting with you about different scouting things because it's, it's a world I'm so fascinated by because I think a lot of us will, will sit and watch games and think, well, oh, well, yeah, like if someone says edge work in a regular conversation, I think they're trying too hard. But everyone's wanting to be uh, kind of that scout. You, you have been in that world quite a bit. I, I want to know what, when you're watching a, a training camp, like Canada is going through. Obviously, for the pieces you're writing on Sportsnet, you're like, who's going to make the team? Who isn't? But from a, a scouting perspective, what are you looking for when you're going to a, a training camp like Canada was having? First thing is, they're all good players. They all deserve to be there for a variety of reasons, right? So um, I, I'm out of the gate. My first things that I always look for is, you know, can't skate, can't think, can't play. So when the when the game gets a little bit faster or even, you know, astronomically quicker in some cases, you know, how are you making those adjustments and can you keep up? And then is your hockey IQ, um, you know, on time? If you, if you get my drift, like with and without the puck, are you aware of what's going on? Because let's be honest, 99% of the game, think about this, 99% of the game, you don't have the puck on your stick. So you better be aware of what's going on all over the ice uh, for the other um, you know, the, the 99% that you don't have the puck on your stick. So that's one thing. But the other thing is when you start to get um, thrown into new situations, you're playing out of position. So think Fantilli last year, you know, leading the NCAA in scoring, elite offensive talent, but not enough room in Canada's top six for him to do that on a nightly basis in Halifax. So kill penalties, play with, uh, you know, a matchup defensive role, block some shots on the penalty kill, pressure the puck up, up ice F1 when you're matching up against the other team's top line. 
stuff like that. So how can you adjust and uh, and don't put your head down and sulk if you're not in your prime scoring situation? Whatever they're asking you to do for the good of the team, uh, I keep a close eye on that stuff. And does the, the scouting outlook, I guess, change with this being on the, the bigger ice? Obviously, that's not where they're eventually going to, to end up or where they hope to eventually end up in the, the National Hockey League. How does it being on a, a different ice surface affect how you watch this from a, a scouting standpoint? That's really interesting that you bring that up because, you know, I'm a little bit conflicted. I have to be honest. Like, so if, if I see a, a darting player, uh, you know, a skater, like I said, the Hellenius kid, I already know what he's capable of. Um, you know, thinking again with Celebrini, I already know what he's capable of skating-wise. But if I start to get into, you know, Noah Warren, for example, the big rig defenseman from Canada, where I think he's a good skater, don't get me wrong, but I think it's going to be a challenge, um, that extra, you know, three, four feet on each side to get out and, and front the play and, and, you know, shut down an opponent. And conversely, guys like Denton Matejchuk, uh, you know, who's a, a compact, he's a good skater too. But it's going to tell me um, a little bit more about how they can become longer players. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, everything's a little bit more boxed in over here in North America. But in, in a worst-case scenario, can you, can you extend yourself to have to defend further out? And for the goaltenders, you know, moving side to side, are you going to be able to make the adjustments on your angles and play between your posts without sacrificing, you know, your net front, like fronting the shooter? So... Um, I'm not going to hold them long-term accountable for it, but I'm always interested in the adjustment. Um, we talked about the, the big three, Sweden, Canada, and the United States, that there's always uh, a, a goalie or two in this who will make 55 saves and upset the apple cart. Um, is there a, a dark horse team in this that you're excited to, to see how they do on the big stage? I, you know, I never count out Czechia or Slovakia. I have to be honest with you. They never go away. Those two teams... Uh, they just empty the tank every night. They're, they're such a proud group. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, be so the least bit surprised if one of those two teams do something uh, at this event and push for a medal. Uh, uh, of course, you know, they're, they, Adam Guyan, the, the goaltender last year for, uh, for Slovakia, you know, he had to, you know, elevate a great deal to get his team in a position. But I don't know, like, you know, and I know somebody's going to come out of this, you know, years ago when the world juniors were out West, Peter Morazic did it uh, in the games in Edmonton, Calgary. And, you know, it was fun to watch. Uh, there's always somebody, but uh, hopefully for us, it's somebody wearing a team Canada Jersey. Uh, I don't want to be a Homer, but obviously, you know, I'm pulling for the kids. <laughs> yeah. Th- this is one we're allowed to be completely biased on uh, that. that I, I feel like the world juniors, we can just like, all whatever out the window like yeah go Canada on this um but I, I'm with you I, I like I, I I couldn't name anyone on the the Czechia roster but as someone who grew up as a child of the 90s I remember 1998 and will to the day I die take Czechia seriously when it comes to hockey I don't care who is on the roster I'm just assuming yeah their goalie's gonna make 100 saves and they're going to win this hockey game <laughs> it, 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 I'm telling you it's, it's incredible isn't it uh, it always seems to happen somebody from one of those teams always steps up and uh, generally speaking because the goaltenders are under more duress on those rosters than maybe some of the other teams it, it ends up being their goaltenders so uh, you know it's that's what makes us that's what makes it great. I mean, uh, and, and I'm just, I just pulled up Czechia's goaltenders instead of, because uh, I forgot for a sec, but the Michael Harabel kid, uh, he's a giant. He's at UMass. Uh, he's, he's an outstanding goaltender. He's a guy that can steal some games for them. So be aware of Team, che- team Czechia, whoever, uh, whoever gets them out of the gate here first. 
Uh, I want to ask you a couple NHL-related questions here, but before we wrap up today, as uh, we're coming up on the, the roster freeze, it, it sounds pretty quiet right now, but um, th this is obviously a big spotlight for a lot of these kids, and it's not just draft eligibles like we talked about. There's a lot of prospects from a, a lot of teams. Th this could be a, a bit of a, a showcase for, for some of them. Um, in, in front offices, when, when there's trade talks like, hey, this kid just scored like four against Latvia today, Huh? Might might look good on your team. Are you able to kind of take advantage of the big spotlight for this thing? Or can the big spotlight kind of skew your perception of some of these prospects a little bit when talking about trades and, and evaluating some of these players? I think it's a fine line. First of all, these events have gotten real. They've always been important and they've always been fun. There's no, no doubt about that. But uh, they've become even more important for a variety of reasons. And Draft capital and, and prospect development in the cap era has become, you know, exponentially more important. Like, it's just, you know, there's some teams out there who don't have a lot of draft capital, but they do have prospects. So um, it's, it's extremely important to, like, all the, a lot of pro scouts. When I was in Florida, Al Tour, who's right there from Calgary, um, you know, our director of pro scouting in Florida, he would come to the event and, and scout it at, from the pro side because names are going to come up in trade deadline discussions. And some of these names could be candidates to be moved, especially again, if you don't have draft capital in, in you know, terms of picks. So um, it's important. This is in this two week window, these kids are going to be playing their heart out. Um, it's a high leverage, high danger type of uh, environment. It tells you something about how they handle pressure, how they handle being under the spotlight, how they handle best on best for their age category. So um, there'll be a lot of uh, scouts taking notes on a lot of different uh, prospects to put them in that kind of pool of uh, trade candidates. Um, and I wanted to ask about how like the, the regular season, the NHL kind of affects things like um, a lot of people understand Elias Lindholm may not be long for the Calgary Flames. Um, and a lot of the talk coming into this season was he was someone who's going to be looking for around eight to nine million dollars. And while he's been fine this year, he hasn't necessarily looked like an eight or nine million dollar player a whole lot. For teams trading for him, how much does the 30-31 game sample size of the regular season um, affect trade value? I think a lot of people are wondering what's Lindholm's trade value going forward. So how much do you look at what has happened this season compared to body of work, compared to potential, when we're talking about an NHL player in trade talks? All of the above, but certainly uh, recency bias has to be a factor. And 31 games is more than, a, uh, more than enough time to kind of put a preliminary bow on it, if you will, in, in terms of what, not only what he can bring for us today, if we were able to acquire him at the trade deadline, but, you know, more importantly, there's going to be some teams out there as well. Um, don't forget, like, these, the conversation has is, is revolved around, like, the Tanyevs and the Linholms, these guys going to potentially contending teams, right, if they can afford it for this year. But that doesn't mean that that player is going to be able to be a fit for that organization in the summertime money-wise. So everybody in the league continues to do their homework on how these players are trending. So it's going to be interesting. Let's use Lindholm as an example. 31 games, that's a lot of games. That's a huge body of work. We kind of know what he is right now for this year, where his game's at. Is he going to help us if we're player or for team B? Let's just say, I'm not saying this is happening, so nobody get their, you know what, in or not. But imagine the Vancouver Canucks acquire Lindholm, okay? And they, they, have him, they put him in this role. Well, now I'm scouting him to see how he performs on a contending team, if, if we want to call him that, um, and you know how it planes out for the rest of the year because that's going to assign value for the offseason as well. So what I'm trying to tell you is it's always a moving target, 
But the body of work is the first one for the trade. And then beyond that, it's going to be the entirety of the season to assign value for the offseason. Um, and the, the big news this week is that the Ottawa Senators' uh, house cleaning continues as DJ Smith was, was let go by the organization. Uh, they're now in search of a full-time GM and head coach going forward. Uh, it, it's a roster that has some young pieces on it, but uh, as a, a talent evaluator, how do you look at the, the, the Ottawa Senators and kind of the young talent they have both on the NHL roster and, and in the system? Like, What is someone inheriting when, when they take the Ottawa Senators' job? They're inheriting a huge opportunity to be good um, in you know the next couple of years. But at the same token, I think what the, the biggest thing that they're inheriting is a group that's kind of looking for an identity overall. Um, I don't really feel, you know, Tachuk is the captain, is obviously the alpha dog there, but, you know, he's trying to, to drag everybody into the fight, it seems, on, on any given night. And that's a problem because as a group in the room, um, you're only as good as the sum of all your parts. And I'm not so sure that they have an, a team identity that they can, you know, take hold of any night, to be honest with you, Peter, like, because it's been so up and down, so topsy-turvy. I mean, they've started some games. They started in Vegas the other night, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were getting outshot like 11 or 13 nothing before they got a shot on goal. And that's just not good enough in the NHL. It's almost hard to do, to be honest with you. <laughs> so um, they're, they're, they're struggling. There's an opportunity there, but... I, I don't know who the leader is. I don't know what the team identity is. So a lot of work to do with the coach and the general manager to come in. And it can be done, but it's going to be a heavy lift. A lot of people out here in Calgary calling for a, a rebuild, and I, I think understandably so. And I think Ottawa, um, there's a few right now, Ottawa, Buffalo, and Detroit. Uh, interesting rebuilds to look at as like, hey, like these guys did the teardown thing in, in a couple of cases, like got the talented players that you want to get in the rebuilds, and it still takes a bit of time. And I, I think kind of cultivating that identity is a, a real interesting part that some people miss. It, it's not just, hey, let's get a bunch of awesome players and they'll fit and it'll be perfect. Sometimes that works, but there's a lot more that goes into the team building process, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that's, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, people thought that the Boston Bruins would take a significant step back this year, you know, when Bergeron uh, and Cratchy, you know, retired. But what what they have there is they have an identity that's a legacy, right? They, they leave a legacy in the room that somebody else picks up the towel and says, okay, it's my turn. You know, like, I'm going to carry the torch. And it just keeps going through the system. And uh, they just keep turning it over. I, I will say this, and you know, it, it specifically to the Calgary Flames, they need to be good. This is just me spitballing. They need to be good when that new rink opens up. Like we can't afford to have. It's like a new shiny car, right? You know, I love it for my first summer that new sports car. But after a while, it's I still love it, but it's not the same as when I drove it the first couple of times. And people are going to want to go see the rink, take it all in. But if there's not a great product when they get to that rink. It's going to be hard to justify, you know, spending X just to go see a, a you know, a new shiny toy. So uh, they got a lot of draft capital on the horizon. The Flames do. I feel like they can get this done. I don't think it's a bad news story across the board. They got some moves to make in the in the future here, but uh, if they draft well, and, I, and I'm counting on them doing that, uh, they could be. They're going to be fine. This isn't a rebuild in Calgary. This is a retool if they decide to do it. It's certainly a hot button issue out here. And I think probably going to be one for the, the next little while. Uh, Jason, I could do this all day, man. This was a blast. Thanks for, uh, for joining us. Enjoy the tournament and we'll, we'll chat again soon. Awesome. No problem, Peter. Happy holidays. Uh, all the best to you and your family. Right back at you. Happy holidays as well, Jason. Thank you very much for doing this today. That is uh, Jason Bukla joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest 
hotline. Uh, yeah, I could nerd out chatting, scouting stuff with him all day. Time for us to take a break. Hour one in the books. Ch- uh, catch it on podcast form in just a little bit. We'll talk NFL with NFL legend Sean Merriman coming up next here on Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.